Next witness is Shelley Hipson. And uh, Shelley, I'd ask you to affirm that you intend to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Thank you. Good afternoon, Ms. Hipson. Good afternoon, Ms. Hipson. If you could uh, just uh, tell us what brings you here today. What role have you played in this uh, situation? Over the last two years, uh, I've been interested in finding out the truth from government. And in order to do that, there's a process called um, freedom of information. And online, you can pay $5 and request any record. And so... I became kind of obsessed. I got lots and lots of records, um, 80 to 100 records trying to um, piece this all together. So just walk us through very briefly how you do that and what exactly you can ask for. Um, you can't ask a question or you can't ask for analyzed data. You have to ask for a specific a record. So you may ask for a record about um, vaccines and adverse reactions to the vaccines, um, hospitalizations, and you can ask it. There's the um, Department of Health and Wellness, and then there's the Nova Scotia Health Authority. So the department underneath that has a public health branch. That's where Dr. Robert Strang would be working. And then separate from that is the Nova Scotia Health Authority, which is a registered charity. And you're also able to do um, freedom of information requests to both of those entities. You've brought today hard copies of a selection of your, uh, we'll call them FOI pops, mm -hmm. just for ease of reference. Um, I take it these aren't all of them. Oh, heck no. <laughs> I've, got, I've got about four large, huge binders, so I was very kind to you guys. <laughs> You've got the mini version of some of the highlights, and I hope that it um, presents enough of the, the picture of, of what I've accumulated. And just to be very clear, every single document that we're going to be looking at today, the source is government. Yes, it's a government document. It's something that's come directly from those departments or the Nova Scotia Health Authority. And specifically, I think with the exception of maybe one or two pieces of paper, these are all specifically from the Nova Scotia government. Yes. All right. So we have divided for ease of reference for you explaining this to us, as well as for the commissioners, we've divided these um, FOI pops into basically three um, temporal periods. Mm -hmm. um, and so why don't you start uh, with describing what is the first sort of temporal period that we're dealing with? And then you could start walking us through the information that you've received. So what I wanted to start with is a foundation. And that foundation piece is in your binder. Um, and it's Nova Scotia Health Authority 082. And what that provides us, we go back to 2015. So 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 2021, um, what we're looking at are the ICUs. Um, the total ICUs um, throughout Nova Scotia is, um, it's, a, it's a big one like, like this, <laughs> um, if you want to follow along. So the um, Nova Scotia Health Authority um, ICUs, and then Aberdeen Hospital, Cape Breton, Healthcare, Colchester, Cumberland, Dartmouth, QE2, South Shore, St. Margaret's, uh, Valley Regional, and Yarmouth Regional at the top. 
And this, this provides us with a, a scope, a context. So we can see from looking at this in 2020, if we go down to ICUs and hospitalizations, the total for 2020 was 7,306. Uh, 7,306 7, what? ICU hospitalizations. Okay. okay. We can also, if we go up to 2015 and look at the total ICUs in that first column, we can see that in 2020, it was actually the lowest number of ICUs since 2015 at the 7,306. Other years were 7,906, 8,300. You would have thought maybe a pandemic would have been in 2016, as that was the highest. 2017, 8,014. 2018, 8,005. 2019, 7,708. And we go down to 7,306 in 2020. And when we add those ICUs together for 2020, the 7306, and we, I've just added to July, for example, because I have other documents that go along with those, that timeline. There were 12,220 ICUs. Sorry. Tell us where you found the 12,000 number. It's the 7306 total for 2020. And then I've added January, February, March, April, May, June, July of 2021. Okay. I didn't include August and September for the, because other documents go along just to July, the end of July. Okay. And that totals 12,220. So if we can remember that number around 12,000 people went into ICU, um, for about a year and a half of the pandemic. Okay. So just to be clear, this, very large document. Essentially what it is, is the NSHA-082 was multiple pages and all you've done is tape them together so that it's visible all at once. Yes. Okay. Yes. We can also see in um, uh, March 2021 that the, the number of ICU beds went from 121 to 117. So even in a in a pandemic, they were reducing the number of ICU beds. <clears throat> this happened throughout several hospitals. For example, um, that Cumberland went down to, um, Cape Breton went down one, Aberdeen Hospital went down four. So it's interest, just interesting observation to me during a pandemic that there would be a decrease in hospitalizations overall. As well as a decrease in the number of ICU beds available. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that, that gives us, when somebody says, oh, there's, you know, four people in hospital, it kind of can give us a reference of, okay, yes, but there, there's a lot of beds there. <laughs> so it's a helpful, a helpful tool. Okay, and I just uh, to highlight the fact that you've put some yellow highlights, at least on my copy. Have you done that on the commissioner's copies? I sure hope so. Okay. That was my intention last night. Okay. <laughs> Trying so, to get them done. So. so those are not original to the documents, obviously. No, no, right? but no, they're not. No, right. but just to help people kind of see what I'm trying to do here. If we turn the page um, in your document, 
Um, like everybody was hearing and being bombarded um, with the ICUs and the hospitalizations, I was curious what was really going on. So I did a freedom of information request. How many ICU hospitalizations were there each month for COVID-19 in 2020 and for each month up to including July? So when I did that, this is what I, I got back was this one. It's entitled COVID-19 ICU hospitalizations. And if we want to take a brief look at that, we can glance down again by hospital. And these are just your 10 ICU hospitals. So out of the 10, five of them had no ICU hospitalizations for a year and a half into the pandemic. Aberdeen, Cumberland, Shore Regional, St. Martha's, and Yarmouth had no ICU hospitalizations. If we look at the rest of them, they are less than five. With the exception, exception of, of the QE2. Right. Yes. On a couple of occasions. Yes. Okay. And when you say ICU hospitalizations, this is specifically referring to um, in the... COVID-19 units. Yes, this is COVID-19 ICU hospitalization. So when we look at the 12,220 ICUs that happened during that same period on the first that I gave you, there's another little sheet because I told them that I couldn't add these at the bottom. So there's another one. We can see that Aberdeen had zero, Cape Breton uh, Health Complex had 10, Colchester Regional had nine, Cumberland zero, Dartmouth five, QB two seventy four, So Shore zero, St. Martha zero, Valley Regional Hospital in Yarmouth, tw Valley Regional twelve, and Yarmouth zero. When I work those out, basing it on the number of ICUs in this first one, they are all less than one percent. So COVID ICU hospitalizations were less than one percent. Okay, what's the next uh, document that you have here? So that de dealt with ICUs. The next one, I wanted to, well, I thought, well, they're not in ICU. Maybe they're all in like general admissions. So I did a combination and that's um, Freedom of Information NSHA 2021-173. And that's a, quite a big long one. You're probably gonna have to stretch out here. But. Okay, the next one that I have Oh, you've got a long one. Okay. Yeah. It should be in the yellow or the orange in the back. Okay. And just to give the audience sort of a visual as well, I've highlighted the yellow, which would be zero, <laughs> which would be zero um, hospitalizations and ICUs um, throughout Nova Scotia. Now you don't mean over. You don't mean generally. You mean specifically, and I'm looking at this document, reading it. You mean specifically COVID hospitals. COVID, sorry, yes, COVID ICUs and general hospitalizations. The vast majority, I was quite surprised. Have there's no one. There's no one there. There's it's it's pretty empty of of COVID. 
it, it would appear that there's a number of spaces here that are um, blocked out with a section 20 sub 3 sub A cited. Yes. Anything less than five, they black blank them out. They they gave me the reason that I may be able, if it's one person, I may be able to figure who that person is. So it's to protect their privacy. <laughs> so it's it's interesting they black the moat, yeah, for their privacy. But anyway, <laughs> so so that's what that is. It's still they're still all less than five. Okay. Did you have you provided the document where they provided that explanation? Is that in the binder? Uh, it's in yes, it's in one of the Freedom of Information responses. Okay. Okay. I did ask then for an update on this one, and if we turn the page. Um, it's not always easy to get. Uh, the update, they wanted to charge me $2,190. So freedom of information sometimes is not free. <laughs> it, they may put stumbling blocks, I feel, in your way to be able to access that information. So okay. I just stuck that in. Let's just back up and, and yep. I want you to explain or just clarify that first NSHA 2021-173. What was the period over which you were seeking and obtained uh, this information? Over what period? That that went from for the year 2020 and up till October 2021. So January 2020 to October 2021. To October 2021, yes. And when you asked for the update, what was the period that you sought in NSHA 2022-047 that was going to cost you $2,000? Uh, I asked for November, December, January, and February, so four months. And that was going to cost $2,000. Yes. Had they asked for any additional funds in the original NSHA-2021-173 to give you the same information for the period of um, a year and 10 months? No. So that no. would cost you $5. Yes. What ended up happening to your updated request? Um, I... I redid it and I broke it apart, so I do have it a little bit further on, and it gives okay. us an opportunity to compare what was happening um, in 2020-2021, and then um, it shows something some kind of significant um, in the beginning of 2022, and I have that at the more towards the end. Okay, so the um, just if we could just to put some of this into our situational context, this long document, which is related to NSHA 2021-173 and includes all of the COVID hospitalizations and ICU hospitalizations of January 2020 to October 2021, um, the vaccine began to be rolled out at the end of 2020, December 2020. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so far, it would appear, looking at this, these numbers, that they, they seem to remain consistent up until October 2021. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So the next, um, the next FOI pop that you want to address is what? 
So I wanted to know if there was any difference, um, a comparison. So it's a comparison of deaths from diseases of the respiratory system from 2019 and comparing it to 2020. Um, because we were told, you know, there's so many COVID cases. What, what was really going on with all of the respiratory um, illnesses? And that is, just so you know, that's this sheet here. So. And this is 2022-00455-SNSIS, standing for Service Nova Scotia and Internal Services, March 30th, 2022? Correct. Okay. Yes. So we have 2019, and we can see, we'll just scan right down. We've got influenza, 42. Pneumonia, 148. Other chronic um, pulmonary diseases, 496, et cetera. So it totals... 895 for total disease deaths from diseases of the respiratory system. So 895. In 2019. In 2019. In 2020, if we scan down all of those as well, and that includes 66 of COVID-19, there's 827. So 895 in 2019, 827 in 2020. It actually decreased by 68 during that period. Now, this particular graph, is this one that you produced? It's one that I produced, and the actual documents, I've um, put those in your binder, um, the hard copy um, data, and I've just put them into a graph so that we can compare what happened between, between the two years. Okay, so you've done kind of a, a mini analysis, not really analysis, but you've just reorganized the data, pulled the ones that were specifically respiratory mm -hmm. um, and put it into this graph. Mm -hmm. But you've provided the actual FOIPOP where you sought records providing total number of deaths per month in Nova Scotia for 2019, 2021, and so far in 2022 as mm -hmm. of March 30th. Mm -hmm. And... Records showing a breakdown with totals of causes of death for 19, 20, and 21. Mm -hmm. And what you were provided was, um, had a lot of other causes of death as well. That, that's right. Okay. Yes. And you've highlighted for the commissioners which ones you've used to put into your graph mm -hmm. so that if they wish to sort of double check your work or confirm those numbers, they can do that. That's right. Okay. Yes. And so this is over the period of, this is a comparison of 2019, which is pre-pandemic, and uh, the first year of the pandemic in 2020. That's right. 2021, I asked for it, but it was incomplete. So I wasn't able to use that data. All right. Would you like to move on to the next? Yes, please. So we are at 2021 HEA. Yep. And the important thing here, I feel, if we just turn to the second page, it's page one, just after the um, FOI pop. And I highlighted, I hope, in your binders, a deceased case. And I'm just going to read that out to you, because it is quite concerning to me that this would be the definition. And let me just back up for everybody's benefit. We're talking about a FOI pop request made on December 15th, 2021. 
Mm-hmm. Or at least that's when the, is that when the response comes? That's when the response. I made it on August 19th, 2021. Okay. And this is what you had sought from the government. You had sought the definition of a COVID-19 case and a couple of definitions, including uh, what they, how they define a deceased case and so on. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Continue. Yep. Okay. So a deceased case, that's on page one, a probable, a probable or confirmed COVID-19 case whose death resulted from a clinically compatible illness. Unless there is a clear alternative cause of death identified, such as, example, trauma, poisoning, drug overdose. I'm going to read it again. A deceased case, a probable or confirmed COVID-19 case whose death resulted from a clinically compatible illness unless there is a clear alternative cause of death, trauma, poisoning, or drug overdose. A medical officer of health, relevant public health authority, a coroner, may use their discretion when determining if a death was due to COVID-19, and their judgment will supersede the above-mentioned criteria. A death due to COVID-19 may be attributed when COVID-19 is the cause of death or is a contributing factor. So a death can be attributed, a COVID-19 death may be attributed or is the cause of death. The public health authority or coroner may use their discretion and it can be from a clinically compatible illness. Okay. Page page four, table two. COVID-19 cases, it's just interesting to note that out of a total of 5,884 confirmed cases, one quarter of them were asymptomatic. And in table three, number of deaths of asymptomatic people are zero. I started to question the whole testing of asymptomatic people. Um, So it's interesting how many were had no symptoms, leading, if you don't have any questions there, I'm going to go right to the next. Okay, I I don't believe that I do. This this particular FOIPOP covers um, March, or that the graphs cover, it would appear March 2020 to August 2021. Right. Okay, Mm -hmm. and these graphs, just to just to clarify, because some of these graphs you've made, mm-hmm. these graphs are ones that were included in the response as they appear yes. from the government. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the next Freedom of Information is Nova Scotia Health Authority um, 2021-185. And what I asked was, any record, proof, document, report that an asymptomatic positive COVID-19 case is contagious and spread to others in Nova Scotia. The response is, we have conducted a thorough research, thorough search of our records, but we were not able to find any records responsive to your request. We are now closing the file. Okay, and that was in... uh that was in December 7th of 2021. Mm-hmm. So that one seems to speak for itself. Yeah. 
Okay, the next document is a graph, mm -hmm. and I take it that, again, this is one that you produced. Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah. and just to um, highlight for the commissioners, the sources of your information of the numbers that you've put in here are entered on the sort of in the middle there where it says FOI pop and it provides a number. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And then the percentages are sort of, um, that's something that you did. That's my calculations. Based yes. on the numbers that are in the documents cited here. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, can you just very quickly walk us through what this is? Okay. So I just wanted to put it in context. The population of Nova Scotia is just over a million people. In 2020, there was 238,474 tests done. And in 2021, 1,347,912. That's totaling uh, just over 15,000 um, tests that were completed. Comparing that to our population, that's a substantial number of, of tests. Of course, there, there could be people that are retesting, but that's a lot of tests. The negative tests were 1,564,648. So out of all of those total tests for two years, 20,446 were positive. The number of people that died was 114. We know of those 114 in that first year, at least that 53 of them died at Northwood, a long-term care facility. Those are my percentages, so I'm just going to skip over those. Um, the number of people that die in Nova Scotia, it, it's approximately 10,000 people a year. So 20,000 people died in those two years, and 114 of them were from COVID. Attributed to COVID. Attributed to COVID, yes. So it's a very low percentage and which tend, which kind of leads me into the next uh, freedom of information response, which would be about the um, comorbidities. 114 people died, at least 53 of them were in long-term care. So I wanted to know, okay, what else was going on? Why did they die? Like to, in order for me to stay healthy and my grandmother to stay healthy. So the next one was uh, freedom of information is 2021-01142. And I asked for, I would like to learn the comorbidity data that the people had who died with or from COVID-19, including ages, sex, any information or studies that has been gathered on those who have died in Nova Scotia, COVID-19 in Nova Scotia. And the next one is, is this. And we can see that um, 70, in table one, 70, oh, 86.7% of them were 65 years and older. Only 13.3% of them were under the age of 65. Down in table three, um, we can see that cancers were 6.7, cardiac disorders 60%, chronic renal disease 11.1%, diabetes 21.1%, immunocompromised conditions 5.6%, neurological conditions 54.4%, and pulmonary disorders 18.9%. Um, and most of them were in long-term care. Right. So just to add context to that. Okay. 
I think now we're moving into the next um, temporal phase where we're talking about um, after the rollout of the vaccine. Um, we do need to pick up our pace a little bit mm -hmm. just to make sure that we get everything in. So okay. let's introduce your documents and the commissioners will be able to mostly um, consider the documents themselves. Mm -hmm. What's the first one speaking to? 2021-01590-HEA. Um, I'm going to, that's one of the first ones that I did that I learned about the, the, um, adverse events following immunization. Okay. I, I'm going to leave that for them to read. Okay. Due to time. Yep. I'm going to skip to, um, 2022-01349. Okay. And in that, uh, freedom of information request, um, made on August 29th, 2022, I asked for correspondence reports documents given to, sent to, reported to, received by Dr. Robert Strang from doctors, pharmacies, medical officers, hospital administration, long-term care, nursing homes administration. On the topic of COVID-19, vaccine adverse events, side effects, and deaths that, ha that have occurred since it was rolled out in our province. This would include correspondence and reports on adverse events and deaths that are temporarily associated with, vac with vaccine that have not been clearly attributed to the cause to other causes that Dr. Robert Strang has in his possession. So page one, it's Dr. Robert Strang. He's sending out um, references for communication. So we saw how um, across Canada, the medical, the chief medical officers seem to parrot a lot of lines. I can understand that now because it was included in this particular freedom of information um, response. So, so we see Dr. Bonnie Henry, Dina Henshaw, Teresa Tam all being included in this. Okay. And what this one is refers to media lines. Yes. So they're indicating how people should discuss this in the media. With the public. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything to highlight there in particular or just that they all have the same media lines distributed yeah. to them? So on page five, January 21st, 2021, so that's only about a month after the rollout. Question three, can vaccinated people spread the virus to others? There is limited evidence on whether someone who received the vaccine is still able to spread the virus. So here we were told that it was safe and effective, but that clearly states there is limited evidence on whether someone who received the vaccine is still able to spread the virus. Everyone must continue following public health measures regarding, regardless of vaccination with COVID-19 vaccines to protect themselves, their loved ones, as well as people and, to, and communities at risk of more severe disease and outcomes of COVID-19. Um, on, let's see, page 13 are emails, and they're emails to and from Robert Strang and their, their medical officers. Um, so the first one is, hi, Rob. Um, in case you receive any queries, I'm looking into an adverse event following immunization following the death of a resident vaccinated in long-term care. A female rece received a Moderna COVID-19 vaccine and died. So, so that's one. And I'm just going to kind of flip through them. 
Another one, hi everyone, please be aware of an adverse event following immunization reported today and confirmed, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word, and, but it's encephalopathy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, developed neurological symptoms. Another one, um, a serious adverse event, uh, vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia. Is that on page 16? That's on page 16, yes. Okay. So with that one, they choose to um, notify the premier's office. There's people that have um, adverse reactions, including swollen, tingly lips, uh, closure of the throat, and they are still recommended to proceed with their second dose of the vaccine. Can you cite page numbers? Page 19. Sorry, page 19. On page 24, it's just interesting, some adverse events are identified during the clinical trial process. However, new issues can arise once a health product is on the market because it is being used by a much larger number of people, very much larger. Um, Page 27, again, just itchiness and chilly, swollen throat um, after a Pfizer shot. Shelly McNeil is going to assess the situation. And um, this is after the second dose, actually. And they, of course, I mean, they were allergic to the first one. No big surprise. Immediately experienced headache, itchiness, flesh. So the second one, the same type of reaction. Page 29, some unusual adverse events following immunization came in today. Stroke, thrombotic events, um, thrombocytopenia alone thrombosis, thrombocytopenia. So they knew, this was in the first few months, um, that people were having these um, adverse reactions to the to the vaccine. And I guess I should have been asking you for dates, but that most recent one that you just cited where there's stroke, thrombotic events, um, pulmonary embolism, uh, that was April 15th, 2021, for example. Yes. And the earlier, the earliest one that you cited was January 24th, 2021. So mm-hmm. um, those are all in between those dates. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the next set. Uh, 02124. I asked the same thing. And this is for a different time period. I take Different it. time period. I had to break that one down because I couldn't get it all at once. They were going to charge me some money. So I... I broke it up. Um, page one at the bottom, we can see allergic reactions, anaphylaxis to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, continuing on page two, eight people. Neurological reaction, a f- female receives a Pfizer, excuse me, vaccine and has a seizure. Um, if we scan down some of those, there's pericarditis, hyperthyroidism, rashes, Um, pulmonary embolisms, a male receives a Moderna shot, Um, rash toes, then serious and hospitalized. There were six people, Um, one, two, so a male gets Pfizer and has a cardiac arrhythmia, thrombotic stroke, pericarditis, 
ischemic stroke, ischemic stroke, hemorrhagic stroke. So I'm just going to stop you. So what's yep. interesting about this set is that at this point in the in the in June, this is in June of 2021. Mm-hmm. They're now breaking down their emails to Dr. Strang into uh, sort of five day increments. Yes. So the this particular email is addressing June 7th to 11th right. of 2021. Mm-hmm. They've got eight allergic reactions. Mm-hmm. They've got one neurological reaction. Eight that they consider non-serious, but it includes a pulmonary embolism, Mm -hmm. as well as a vitreous detachment and pericarditis. Mm -hmm. And then they've got six serious hospitalized, which you've just read to us there, a couple of ischemic strokes, hemorrhagic strokes, pericarditis, thrombotic stroke, and so on, and a death, which appears was due to pulmonary embolism. Yes. That's all in a a five-day period? It's in a five. Okay. Yes. And Dr. Strang's uh, response was, will be interesting, so do we have serology for specific cases? Mm -hmm. So he responded to that, indicating he had seen it. Yes. Okay, so then moving on very quickly through the next... It's the same sort of thing. Anaphylactics, um, allergies, uh, pericarditis. This is June 14th to 18th. Yes, June 14th to the the 18th. Seizures, stomach stroke again, pericarditis. Another um, pulmonary embolism, even things like colitis and allergies, um, another pulmonary embolism. So that's that date. And it, it just keeps going. Like they knew he was receiving these emails knowing that people were being seriously injured and dying and having strokes. Um, yet the, it was being told to us that it was safe, safe and effective. Page five, he has the word concerning. So just to back up, the response to the June 14th to 18th email, that email was sent on June 18th at 6.14 p.m. And at the top of the page at 8.17 p.m., what was Dr. Strang's response on the top of page three? Uh, So we would have to acknowledge a singe case. Single case. Oh, maybe. Single case but with few details to due to privacy. Okay. And then, um, and on that particular date, they were reporting six allergic reactions, five they considered non-serious, but including pericarditis, tachycardia, and five serious hospitalized, including a bilateral pul- pulmonary embolism, uh, seizure and stroke in the same person. Uh, and on that particular date, no deaths were reported. Right. Um, and then... On the next page, number five, page five, uh, that email covered, that report covered, um, well, it's in a slightly different, uh, slightly different format. But on July 12th, um, Leslie Wynott sends an email, or sorry, Noella sends an email to Dr. Wynott. We have several myocarditis, pericarditis reports that we received today. This is the first one. Um, and following the email thread up, um, what was Dr. Strang's response on page five? Just concerning. Concerning. It's concerning. This is all in June and July of 2021. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mandate and the vax pass were brought in in the fall of 2021. That's right. There's several more pages of this, but and is as interesting as it all is, I think we should... Mm-hmm. Fast forward, um, and we will uh, put some electronic copies of all of these on. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll make them available to the commissioners, as, and I'll speak to whoever 
might be able to put them on the uh, web as well. Yes. Um, okay, what's the next one? You've got two or three minutes. Okay. Um, I just want to highlight in 2022, uh, 1408, um, that they are not counting any of the deaths after 30 days. So okay. we can see um, sort of a criteria that they have to follow. And so the, the, the criteria is very um, tight. Localized events, seven days. Allergic events, 48 hours. Neurological events, 56 days. And what I've noticed in the reply to my freedom of information request is that there are no adverse events being recorded after one month. So I don't know what people are seeing in their community, but I certainly have concerns of what's happening in mine. And it may take a little bit longer for blood clots to um, manifest into death. And they are not recording anything after one month. Okay. How about, I don't know how you feel about making the last one that we discussed, the comparison of the hospitalizations after the, the, oh, the more recent yes. hospitalizations for COVID. Yeah. Um, I think that's the one in your red folder at the back, but I'm not I think it is. Sure. Yeah. 161. Yes. NSHA 2022-161. So if we pull out that. So we've gone from basically zeros um, and I, did I write it on my copy? Did I write it on your copy? Probably. <laughs> Is it got lots of numbers five, five thousand, five thousand, five thousand nine hundred seventy-two. Five thousand nine hundred seventy-two general admissions for COVID. Over what period? Over from. It's just January to October, twenty twenty-two. Okay. So we've gone from nothing, zeros, um, to a substantial increase to uh, general hospitalizations that are happening. Specifically for COVID. Specifically as, for COVID. As These attributed are, by the government. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other ones that, uh, any last thing you want to um, pop in there before we close? The exemptions... I just wanted to touch on that. The Public Service Commission did the exemptions for their government employees. 76 people applied for an exemption. 67 of the those were declined. And I was quite surprised that the criteria for the exemption actually came from the Nova Scotia Public Service Commission and the Nova Scotia Department of Justice. They were the ones that, that created the exemptions for people, which was very hard to get an exemption. Um, and... The other thing that I just want to mention briefly is in the adverse events following immunization for the year 2022, um, on page four at the bottom, a category of adverse events following immunization labeled other serious or unexpected events are not shown but are relatively frequent. These primarily include reoccurring conditions, gout, and cancer. So they have actually acknowledged that reoccurring cancer in their, this is a government document, um, in January 2022. Which just leads me to Statistics Canada saying that the third week of January 2022 was the deadliest week in Canada since the pandemic began with 27% more deaths than would be expected. 
Um, and then recently we've had an article in the CBC, Nova Scotia tight-lipped about spike in deaths. Unexpected high numbers of people are dying in an untimely fashion. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Questions. Uh, Ms. Hickson, the, the commissioners may have questions. Yes, sorry. <laughs> is, my, is this on? Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Um, thank you for that. Thank you. I just have a couple of questions actually around the freedom of information process. Mm -hmm. um, did you experience any issues uh, in having your requests granted? Unreal. It's been unreal. I, I had to be so determined and patient. There were so many stumbling blocks. Even when there was, I, I would apply, they'd extend it for another 30 days. And then they'd say, oh, you know, 30 days, the extension's at 60 days. Then it's going to cost you 500, this is one FOIPAP, uh, $540. It was an important one. So a few of us chipped in on it. And then even when I, I paid the 540, they then did not grant me the information. So it's 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 been unreal. Yes. And how do you think they could improve that process? Mm. That's a great question. Um, freedom of information is not free. Um, Ontario, I believe, under their act, it, it it's more so than here in Nova Scotia. They they have the liberty to, um, I feel, put it as a stumbling block in your way. So I would like to see if, if it's true, if what I was being told, Ontario can't, can't do that. So I would like to see it. It's, it's our information. They are public employees. Um, none of this I should have done, had to do, um, through freedom of information requests. It should have been given to us. And then we wouldn't have been scared. Yeah. I have a couple of questions. I'll start with a more sort of a medical, maybe it's out of your mm -hmm. expertise, but I, I noticed that the many of the cases reported were sort of anaphylactic mm -hmm. shock. Uh, are you aware whether they make any distinction between anaphylactic to some drug or septic shock? Because yeah. septic shock can actually be induced by LPS. Okay. That have been shown recently to be a fairly present contaminant in the mRNA preparation. Yeah, that is, uh, sadly, that is beyond my scope. But They yeah, haven't no. made the distinction. The, no. You, you've never seen I've it. I've never seen it in my information. <coughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, my other question is, this is a very thorough work you've done. Be, your dedication is impressive. Mm -hmm. If you would now synthesize the message you can gather from all of the data from the government site and contrast that with the message on the government site what would what would be your appreciation 
So I'm thinking, I'm hearing you say, like comparing what I know and, and what they've told us from this and what they've told us from. I think it's, I think it's sad that they, they didn't provide the context and they created so much fear. And with the fear, um, people went out and, and got vaccinated for something based on my numbers has a 99.5 recovery. Um, that troubles me that we have those types of people that would do that to us in our government. It, it, it troubles me to see that there were no, nobody, nobody was in ICU and yet on the meet in the media line, it, it felt like we were just being totally overwhelmed. The hospitals were overwhelmed. The schools were, you know, I, in my, in my mind, I cannot fathom why anybody would want to do that to people. Like, I, it troubles me that that's who we have in leadership positions. So. Maybe one last question. Yeah. <clears throat> a pandemic is a global event, so you would expect that you would have similar number across provinces in Canada or the states or other country. When I look at the number you have compiled for Nova Scotia, by and large, that seems to be fairly low mm -hmm. compared to what we've seen from other places. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's something special about people or in Nova Scotia or the way the pandemic has been running in the province? I feel with media lines that they used across the country, um, I bet I bet if you went to every province and did exactly what I did, you'd be quite surprised. I, I, I feel that it would expose the truth. I do feel that we've been bamboozled into thinking that something was really deadly, and I, I don't think that happened. I, I think it was like when you look at even the deceased case and it can be probable and from a clinically compatible illness, I mean, to a coronavirus, like, <laughs> like, and they're, they're including that in account. It's pretty easy to get those numbers up, right? And, and then people in long-term care, sadly, when they die, they, they do fill up with mucus. Like it, it, to swab that, like, okay, you've got the symptoms of COVID, like, so. And here in Nova Scotia, what is it? The 83, 83 is the median age of somebody dying of COVID-19 in the province. The, the life expectancy in, in Nova Scotia is 80. Like, <laughs> we've got to Thank you for your question. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, you talked a fair bit about ICU beds in the province. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple of questions. One is, did you also ask about the ICU bed staffing? Because it's one thing to say you have a bed, and it's another thing to uh, have a staffed bed. That's a great question, and I, I did. I asked for the number of beds that were staffed over the last two or three, 2019, 2020, and I believe it's for 2021. And there are 3,000, around 3,100 and some staffed beds. And I didn't see a decrease. Now that might be happening in 2022. 
Um, I, I did do another freedom of information asking how many people were um, no longer working um, or who were out on COVID, and that seems to be growing. So, yes, that's a great question. Yeah. My next question, again, has to do with ICU beds, and I thought I heard that you were looking at stats prior to 2019. And so my question is, did you look at ICU bed numbers in the province, say, from four or five years ago, and then try to see what the trend was, whether the ICU beds in the province prior to the uh, pandemic were increasing or decreasing or staying the same? Um, that's what this beauty chart here, the first one. Um, let's take a peek. And they're, they're staying, as far as the beds are concerned, they're staying about the same. As far as the ICUs, hospitalizations, just particularly with COVID, I think they could be seeing a bit of a problem. So there is another fold in there with the ICU beds, and it looks to me like they've tripled for, for COVID um, ICUs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one last question, because I know we're short on time, and mm -hmm. this is more or less based on the testimony we had earlier from Dr. Phillips. Mm -hmm. And you talked about a number of adverse reactions and you did a, um, a FOIA request on that. Do you have any information as to how many of those adverse reactions were actually reported into the CAFIS system? No, not into that system. I don't. I, I see where I've done freedom of information requests and the numbers I've got, and now I'm seeing a change in those numbers, like they're decreasing. Um, they're not increasing. Like, So I do question how much cleaning of the data uh, they may be doing. I don't think they're all getting in there. And when I start to see the emails and the number of strokes and things that are happening, and then I see the serious adverse events, the, the the number should be much higher. There's there's something going on there, in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your uh, presentation. I just have one quick question. Given that the chief medical officers across the country had the same messaging for communications to the populace, I'm just wondering why the, the there was different mandates and measures put in place from Nova Scotia to other provinces within the Canada, in within the country. Did any of the FY for your information requests actually give any evidence to why that would be happening? Thank you. No, the media lines that I received were primarily uh, dealing with reactions to the vaccine. So they were specific to that. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much.